and welcome to Neither the Time Nor the Space, a podcast about Doctor Who. My name is David, and as ever, I am joined by the statuesque Matt. Hello. So, see what I did there? Yep. Yeah, good, good stuff, wasn't it? Um, <laughs> so, everyone, yeah, today we're talking about Blink. Yeah. A, a little episode called Blink. Maybe you've heard of it, maybe you haven't. It turns out you had heard of it, Matt. Yeah, it's yeah. supposed to be pretty good. Yes, it has, it has, it's definitely, I would say, of modern Doctor Who, it probably is the single episode that has the greatest reputation outside of the show itself. You know, <laughs> I regularly see on forums and stuff, people will recommend it as a, as an entry point into the series as a whole. Oh, you never watched Doctor Who before? Just watch Blink. Yeah. See if yeah. it tickles your fancy. I actually think that is terrible advice because it is so atypical yeah, it's of an not, episode. Yeah, it's not. Well, the Doctor's barely in it. Exactly, yeah. It's 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 a good... Uh, cards on the table. I, I do think it's a brilliant episode. I don't know how you feel about it. I mean, mm-hmm. in fact, what did you think... What did you know about Blink going I, into this I episode? I basically knew there were some statues. Yep. And when you blink or turn away from them, they move towards you. That was it. Cool. Yeah. So you, got the ba- you had the basic concept of the Weeping Angels. Yeah. And that was yeah. that. So, for example, one of my... All-time favourite computer games, The Witcher 3. Yeah. There is part where you go into a crypt, there's some statues. As you run away from them, they move. Oh, right, okay. They so don't do just, anything. It's they just a ju- reference. Yeah, it's yeah. just a little Easter egg. Ah, uh, that's quite fun. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. But that's, a, you know, a great, great example of the fact that it it has resonated, since its initial broadcast, it's resonated and had mm. this kind of pop cultural influence that is almost... It's certainly outside of your regular Doctor Who fandom and 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 the trappings of that. Yeah, like I, I, and there will be people out there that know the concept of Weeping Angels as a monster, but don't necessarily even know that it's yeah, Doctor yeah. Who. I, I was like you know? prior to this episode, I, yeah. I knew there was some. I didn't even know they were called Weeping Angels. I knew yeah. there were these statues. Yeah. So, if we refer to our rating system, yeah, good episode, bad episode, good episode with bad bits. Mm-hmm. Bad episode with good bits. What would you say? It's a good episode. I, I'm going to go and say, I genuinely do agree that this is the best episode we've ever watched. Really? So yeah. far, I, yeah. I absolutely adored this. Oh, fantastic. I'm so pleased to hear it. Yeah. yeah, it, It's brilliant. It's just a fantastic 45 minutes of television, yeah. isn't it? It, it, it doesn't need to be <laughs> Doctor Who. It could be, it could be Buffy the Vampire Slayer. It could be anything. Yeah, it just... works amazingly. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not saying it's good... perfect. There's one or two little bits that are a bit... Hmm, yeah. But on but... the whole, I would say yeah. this is better than Girl in the Fireplace, which was my previous favourite. Mm-hmm. I'd say it's better than Satan Pit, Impossible Planet, which was one of my other favourites. Better than all the other crap we've watched. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just... I mean, I think the thing is, especially bearing in mind... That it, it is just an episode of a TV show that was just, you know, the usual production schedule. It's about 10 days of shooting, mm-hmm. which is, so, you know, for essentially a 45 minute film yeah. that, that has that level of emotional weight. And, you know, we, we've got to talk about, we, we'll have to get in touch on it later. Um, Carrie Mulligan's central performance. Yeah. I mean, I'm pretty sure is she like an Oscar winner at this point? Certainly Possibly. nominated. I, know, I, mean, she's... I, I knew her from 
Have you ever seen Drive? I haven't. I'm aware Amazing of it. Amazing but... film. Yeah. Amazing. It's basically a film where nothing happens none of the characters develop that much but it's just amazing yeah it's on my to-do list along with you know ten thousand other films but yeah before we get really stuck into the episode itself the other thing that i really wanted to highlight as well that is that this is the first episode of new who that has been directed by a woman oh really yeah hetty mcdonald and to come in having never directed for doctor who before and just smash it out of the park to this degree. And and I do think her direction is one of the mm. key aspects that makes this episode work as well as it does. Do you think that's why Carrie Mulligan's performance excels? I you mean, I, she she is a really good actress. Oh, yeah. No, so no, that's, there is a, so that's without you're doubt. Start, so you're but starting from a I, strong foothold. But, but yes, it, I, 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 I would assume that, that that's got to be part of it. Yeah, you know? I, I just think... Such a strong female lead yeah. under the direction of a man may come across as like fake and false. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. That's the thing. I love that she is a strong female lead. There's no attempt to like make her quote unquote badass. She, you know, she's not going about you know kicking the faces off Weeping Angels or anything. She's just smart and resourceful. Yeah, yeah. And, That's like yeah. her key superpower is just intelligence. Yes. Yeah. So, so I, I wanted to ask you something before we start. Yeah, go for it. Because I, as I've said, think this is the best episode we've seen. But according to Doctor Who magazine, yeah. this is the second best ever Doctor Who story. Oh, right. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So do you know which was number one? When, wh- which list are we talking about? Because they do this every so year. So this was the 40th anniversary the 40th anniversary would have been during the wilderness years, wouldn't it? I think that. Oh, I maybe the 40th anniversary. 2009. 2009, right. So, so we're only going up to series three then, aren't yeah. we? Or maybe. No, maybe series four. Is it an episode that we've seen? So no, it's classic. It's a classic Who. So it'll be Genesis of the Daleks. No. No, it's not. Not Genesis Do you of the Daleks. You want another guess? I'll give you three. Mm, okay, so if it's not Genesis of the Daleks. They've not gone for an unearthly child, surely. No. Out of pure nostalgia. No. no. Thank uh, God. Yeah. Because we all know that shit. <laughs> I'm surprised it's not Genesis. Because what else has that kind of just received wisdom fan esteem? Maybe it's a... I don't know, because I've not seen it yet. I'm pretty sure Remembrance of the Daleks is one that everyone bangs no, on about. It's the Caves of Androzani. Oh, Cave, Caves of Androzani. Yeah. No, I should have got that. I should have got Fifth that. Fifth Doctor into Sixth Doctor. Yeah. You're not going to make me watch that, are you? No, I'm not because it's shit. No, because I actually I do like it, but I think it's a terrible because it's the Fifth Doctor's final story. And what I like to do when I'm picking my classic stories for you to watch is give something that's kind of as close as I can within a single story, representative of the era as a whole. Mm-hmm. Like Little T's, uh, guys, if you're curious, I'm eyeing up the demons, I think, as our third Doctor story. I've, I've managed to twist uh, Matt's arm into maybe relenting for a five-parter. Yeah. Not going to do a six-parter, but... Uh, um, but, yeah, so... Caves of Androzani, it's a great episode, but it's a regeneration story, and it would be mm-hmm. like... Can you imagine your introduction to Christopher Eccleston being Bad Wolf Parting of the Ways? Yeah. It's not it's not the right call, is it? You'd go for something like Dalek or a standalone. Um, so, that being said, yeah, Kay's Androzani. 
I mean, it wouldn't be my number one. But what I would get be your number one. Okay, I've not seen all of Classic Who, right? In fact, I don't know. Unearthly Child. Just, if we're going, you were saying in the car that Unearthly Child's your favourite, <laughs> and first, you love it. First episode of Unearthly Child, I have a huge amount of connection for. The remaining three episodes where it's just cavemen grunting at each other, mm. less interesting, not quite as an engaging a story. I don't know because I okay, I've not seen all of Classic Who, right? And I don't want to talk about anything in terms of New Who that we've not yet covered on this show. Mm-hmm. So I don't know whether I can fully answer that question yet. Would you say yeah. Blink's the best of what we've seen? <sighs> of what we've seen so far. I might be tempted to rank human nature above it. Really? Yeah, I really love that story. Really? I really love that story. Are you sure? I really, really do love that story. Um, At best, I'd say that's okay. (laughs) Wow, we're going to have an interesting uh, end of season wrap up, aren't we? Yeah. Um, It's basically going to be me talking about Blink, and then I'll I'll leave the room. There were other episodes. I might go have my dinner whilst I'm talking about Man. Right, okay, let's get stuck into it. So, So, we are on the 9th of June, 2007. Yep. Written by Stephen Moffat. He basically writes all the good episodes. Mm-hmm. I did not watch this episode as it went out live. Really? I think I must have been doing something else. Um, I was probably, I don't know, I might have been doing like a performance poetry set or some other kind of wank like that. Oh. Watching um, Unearthly Child on, <laughs> on the internet. <laughs> yeah, streaming it at like yeah. less than 280, yeah. 240p quality. Yeah. On some dodgy site. In fact, it probably would have been pre-streaming. Yeah. I probably would have just had to have torrented it. I did I did torrent a bit of Classic Who back in the day. Um, but <laughs> I remember watching this episode on iPlayer a couple of... And this was early days of iPlayer. But a couple of days after it aired... And because I was a student at the time and, and like I was more nocturnal than anything... I was watching it on my grotty laptop, in bed, at like, in an otherwise empty flat, because my flatmate wasn't around that evening, at like 2am in the morning. And I'm not... I have quite a low horror tolerance threshold. I think that's why I like, one of the reasons I like Doctor Who, in that it's safe horror. But this episode doesn't feel safe. For a lot of it. Mm. And it properly shit me yeah. up. I, I can believe it. You know, if you think episodes we've seen where the big threat is something like the Jadoon. Yeah. That you can just sort of point and laugh at. Yeah. And just to go off on a tangent, it was on BBC News that the Jadoon will be returning. They will. In the next series of Doctor Who. Matt, would you like to verify for the, for the listeners that my current lock screen on my phone is the promo image of uh, Jodie Whittaker facing off with a yeah. Jadoon. It's got loads of heart emojis around it. <laughs> so, this is, yeah, the threat feels real yeah. in this episode. And yeah, watching it by yourself at two in the morning <laughs> in a dingy flash. Right. Yeah. Should we make a start? <laughs> yes, yes. So, Let's get in we it. begin with a girl climbing over a gate towards an old house. Mm-hmm. The girl is Carrie Mulligan. We yep. introduced to her as Sally Sparrow yep. at this point, but we recognise her. Everything in the house is all derelict. 
Yeah, there's a. I think there's a do not enter sign on the, on the gate, which yeah. she is brazenly ignoring. And all the furniture's like just did, yeah, it's dilapidated. Um, and she's just in there taking photos. Mm-hmm. Now, although it's the jumping off point of the episode, it's never really explained what she's doing in there. She's... She she might just be like urbexing. What's urbexing? Urban exploring. Oh right, it, it's basically where like weird people like I used to work with a girl whose boyfriend was really into urbexing and you just like basically go in old derelict buildings and take photos yeah or like climb into bomb shelters I think that's exactly what she's doing I've never heard it referred to as that but certainly I Mm. think a lot of do you want to go urbexing after we're done recording yeah why not we'll go to the old train station or something like that yeah yeah maybe die by means of some falling masonry but you can do some geocaching Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's a fairly common enough thing. I'm pretty sure my partner, because, you know, she's a photographer, I'm pretty sure when you're a photographer, there is a very few things more appealing than, like, derelict buildings. Mm. They have an inherent visual interest to them. So the sight of a young woman, like, in her 20s, poking around a derelict building to take photographs makes perfect sense to me. Um, and I think it already it tells you the type of person she is. You're already getting a sense for Sally Sparrow's character, and you've you've seen her for what all of twenty seconds. Yeah. So you know. So she notices some of the wallpaper is peeling, mm. and there seems to be some sort of writing behind it. Yeah. And Ash... that's the just to, to mention that is the point at which I turn and leave the building. Mm. Uh, isn't it raining like as well yeah. already? Like it's it, it's... it's pretty tropey at yeah. this point. So horror. so it's already kind of spooky. I was like. I do not want to know what is written on that wall under that wallpaper. I am gone. So, but, yeah. even if you were brave enough to stay, yeah. and you peel it off, and it says, beware the weeping angel, how would you react? Again, I, if I hadn't, I would probably already... I would have peed my pants <laughs> by that point, and then turned tail and ran. And then the graffiti continues. It says, oh, and duck. <laughs> yeah. Then it says, really duck, Sally Sparrow. Duck now? Yeah. So... Sally does duck, and I think it's a rock. Yes, flies through, through the air window. over her head. Yeah, she ducks just at the last moment, and uh, yeah, and then we're into the title sequence, aren't we? Well, just before that, she pulls the last piece of wallpaper off. Yeah, and it says "Lots of love from the Doctor." I think. Do we see the date there as well? Nineteen sixty-nine. Yeah. Then we get the titles. Yeah. That's it's a pretty that, good cold opening. It's a strong opening, isn't it? It's a strong opening. Like already, you've set up some kind of intrigue because it's like, why was the doctor leaving a message decades ago? Mm. How did she he know this girl's name? Uh, how did she know that? How did he know that there would be a, a rock held at her head? It, tying into the next scene where we see the doctor on Sally's TV back mm-hmm. at home. It sets it up nicely because there's two early references to the Doctor. We see him, yeah. we get this note from him, but still, he's just barely in this episode. Yeah, he's like a, he's always like a ghost, isn't he? He's yeah, just like he's this... a factor, but yeah. nothing more. Yeah. So yeah. Um, so is that the next scene? Then we just see um, all, the, all the little screens. So she returns home. Yeah. Uh, there's the main TV in the living room. The Doctor saying, "Don't blink." Well, it's not her home. 
She no. returns to her friend Kathy's That's home right. at like two in the morning, which again is a lovely sort of character. Again, you're learning the kind of person Sally Sparrow is. She thinks nothing of just walking into a friend's house and making coffee because <laughs> rigging her up. As a result yeah. of just walking into her friend's flat, yeah, she bumps into her friend's brother. Yes, and there's probably one of the few things I didn't really like, where he sort of says, "Just yes or no? Am I wearing trousers?" Mm-hmm. He's clearly not. Yeah. I think you're seeing Stephen Moffat's in a sitcom writer coming out there a bit. I think it's the kind of scene that he wouldn't have thought twice of putting in coupling, say. Mm. Um, so you're just, I think, seeing that aspect of his writing bleeding through. I don't hate it as a moment. I don't think there are any moments I hate in this episode. I think I've really got no criticism. It, it just sort of breaks up the tension. I think intentionally so. I think if if you didn't have the little pepperings of humour here and there in this episode, it would be too relentless for a what is this? Mm. Let's not forget a family show. Yeah. You know, if you if you were doing this as pitching this as a as a horror film for adults, you maybe wouldn't go down that route. But I think you need it for for to keep it Doctor Who. Yeah. So the next day, she takes her friend Kathy back to the house. Yeah. And we find out that Kathy's surname is Nightingale. Yeah. So there's Sparrow and Nightingale. Yeah. And they say it's like an ITV crime <laughs> show. Yes, yeah. Is that like a little dig at ITV? Yeah. Yeah, it's cute though. I like it. Um, Kathy's along a bit reluctantly. She's been, mm. she's just humouring uh, Sally, really, yeah. at this point. And as they're looking around, we see the statue moved from the last time we saw it. Yeah. And just as the tension's ramping up, the doorbell rings. Yeah. So, Kathy continues looking round. Sally mm-hmm. goes to answer the door. Yeah. And there's a man at the door that says, I was told to bring this letter to this address at this time. Yeah, he's an awkward, slightly confused man. Mm-hmm. He obviously is operating on very little information. Yeah. And he asks for Sally by name. Yeah. So Sally's perplexed by yeah. what exactly is going on. And he's like, he's he's trying to be sure. He, like, he even like, asks for like, identification and stuff, doesn't he? Because mm. he's just like... Because I remember there's one moment where he, you sort of hear him mumbling, it's, it's so hard to tell with passport photos, isn't it? <laughs> like, he really wants to be certain that he has got the right person. So this is obviously like a very important task he's been given to deliver this letter Mm. Um, so as that's happening the statue continues to move eventually Kathy looks at it yeah and we're told by this gentleman that the letter Sally's received is from a lady called Catherine Wainwright Mm. whose maiden name was Kathy Nightingale yeah so the letter Sally has got is from Kathy yeah so Sally goes to look for Kathy but we get a little glimpse that Kathy is now in Hull. Yeah. In 1920. Yes, yeah. Uh, um, so the way this scene works, it's kind of cutting back and forth a few times between yeah. that past and that present. And I'd like, first of all, Sally's response is just like, this is this some kind of sick joke. She can't quite believe it. So she's just shouting for Kathy. Because she starts to read the letter, doesn't she? Mm-hmm. And it's like. My dear Sally, I hope this message finds you well. And blah, blah. Yeah. and it's like, it's on a, obviously really old paper. And there's old photographs yeah. of yeah. Kathy getting like, married. But and... it, like she's wearing like clothes of that period and it's her with, with children. And it's, and it's properly unsettling. And then, of course, you see her arriving young, like just in a field. 
in what turns out to be Hull, meets a nice young man uh, who sort of was, I think he's like casually eating a sandwich <laughs> sat atop a dry wall, yeah. Uh, yeah. dry stone wall. And, um, and it's almost like a sort of, it's like the world's weirdest start to a romantic comedy, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> now, how, how would you react if, I mean, it's entirely doable. I yeah. could pay someone to do it. If someone just knocked on your door with a letter from me saying, hi, David, been shot back in time 100 years. <laughs> um, podcast finished. Uh, <laughs> you can continue if you want, but I'll be dead. Um, uh, that, I mean... Like, Sally takes it surprisingly well. She does like, in the I in mean, the if end. I got a letter from you saying, yeah. I'm back in time 100 years, I'm probably dead. I mean... My first thing I'd probably do is laugh yeah. at, at the absurdity. Yeah. I mean, I don't I, I know think that she she's really... really sort of pre-mobile phones. I'll maybe try giving you a ring yeah. and see if anything happens. I mean, we can presume that in between scenes she's maybe done some of that. Mm. Because we cut then, I think, to her at her grave. So before that, is that, no, is that a bit we, more before we that? find out that the man that delivered the letter is Kathy's grandson. Yes, yeah. So he's seen, sorry, he's not seen in the photographs, but for example, Kathy has a daughter that she called Sally. Yeah, yeah. And then Sally, while she's run upstairs looking for Kathy, she finds that there's more than one statue and one of them's holding a key. Yes, yeah, oh yeah. Now, I'm, I'm going to ask you a question about uh-huh. that later on. Yeah. I, th- I think it, if I ask it now, it's a bit yeah. of a spoiler. Okay, yeah, no, that's fine. So I need to remember that. So Sally grabs it, mm-hmm. runs away. Yeah. As she leaves the house, all the statues are at the window. Yeah. So they've all moved. Yeah. Proper creepy. So at this point, it's when she goes to the cemetery, mm-hmm. and one of the statues is there. Is it? Yeah. I don't think I've ever noticed that. I'm not... Yeah. Uh, it might just be a gravestone of somebody weeping, but I'm pretty certain we it's see It's one it of there. the angels, yeah. Yeah, in the same sense that later on when... Sally's at the police station and you see them on the building. Yes. I think yeah. we see one here in the cemetery. Yeah, you're probably not wrong. I need to go back and look at that. But yeah, and obviously she's she's at the grave. So I think that is her moment of full acceptance. Yeah. She's like, who, I mean, gravestone's not cheap. No. So <laughs> that would be an expensive and pointless I mean, prank. If I continued my prank of being blasted yeah. back in time, if I bought a gravestone, would you... Oh, that would be enough to convince me. Really? Yeah. I, I, I mean, I don't see you spending that kind of money on Let's just, Google. just a prank. I'm just going to stop the recording. Let's just <laughs> see how much a gravestone is. Be back with you in a a nice second. one. Okay, so roughly 500 quid. Yeah. Um, just looking through here. Some of them that are 645 pounds are quite nice. They've got little little flowers on them. Yeah. Six hundred and seventy-five pounds is my favourite one. Okay, so Would if you... I invested <laughs> just shy of seven hundred pounds into this, could I convince you I had been shot back in time? Yes. Oh, right. <laughs> Guess what we're doing for our uh, end of series. <laughs> uh, the sound there of a man who does not yet have children. Yes. <laughs> so much disposable income. I'll stage my own death by being <laughs> blasted back in time now one of my favourite bits of this episode is Sally goes to see Kathy's brother Lawrence mm-hmm. and he works in a video shop oh, the, the nostalgia uh, 
me, me and my friends on a Friday night, rather than meet at the pub, we mm. used to meet at Blockbuster because we knew we weren't really nightclub kind of guys. Yeah, we knew Friday night, a few drinks out, two rentals for a fiver, mm-hmm. and we'd just go watch whatever we could watch. Sorted. Yeah, it's 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 a different time, isn't it? Yeah, I miss I especially, it. I love that it's it was one of those little. That you just do not see anymore, like independent DVD yeah, stores, where yeah. it's like they've got the rare stuff. Yeah, they've got like the 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 region one imports and the you know the stuff that that's otherwise hard to find. Even back when you couldn't get literally anything through Amazon, yeah. because there were no third party sellers on Amazon, and and like you, good luck getting trying to get something at the original asking price on eBay, mm. you know. When those I, kinds of bricks and mortar shops could still exist, I just miss it. I miss yeah. it. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I miss aspects of physical media, hmm. but I do not miss having to find space in my house for the physical no, media no, no. to but exist in. Meeting in the video shop, yeah, not knowing what you were going to rent. Absolutely, yeah. Um, you like that's the thing. You've got to like now in the world of streaming media, you've got to go in with a game plan, haven't you? Yeah. You've got to know what it is you're looking for before you and, start looking, or you'll just be paralysed by indecision. And, yeah, I'm. I, I know I'm not the only one that will log into Netflix and spend as long flicking through Netflix as you could with be watching a film. Yeah. But meeting and doing that as a social event. I always kind of liked it. Oh yeah, yeah. I, we've definitely you know, recommending the worst films you could find. <laughs> uh, yeah. And, and just and just rolling the dice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember me and my friends. And, and of course, it's like you rent it, and that's you. You know, you've, you you that you've got sunk cost there. You're gonna watch it. Yeah. You know, even if you rented it thinking it was gonna be good, and it turns out to be abysmal. You are through to the bitter end. I can remember me and my friends renting G-Force. I don't know if you've ever seen that. Is that the guinea pig? Film? Yeah, it's yeah. where the military <laughs> train guinea pigs. Oh, it's God. amazing. Yeah. I saw, I've I've just got a really vivid flashback. <laughs> and I, I can remember me and my older brother waiting in Blockbuster by the return bin yeah. till somebody returned a copy of Toy Story, the first one. Wow. So we could watch it as soon as it came in. We could rent it, and basically spending an afternoon in Blockbuster, just waiting, just waiting for it to be returned. Oh, that's that's a beautiful memory. Mm. So yeah, different times. I could talk about video shops all day. Anyway, yes. Yeah, so, so as Sally enters, yeah, um, she speaks to somebody first, and Lawrence is in the back. Yeah, she goes through. In the- I, I love that. I, it's a small part, but I love that surly bloke at the counter because he's like he's barely paying her any attention like I love the fact that one of the most beautiful women in in the world has just walked into his shop (laughs) and he's just watching some trashy 70s flick on a small ceiling mounted we'll we'll, we'll come back to him in a moment (laughs) so Sally goes through to the back to speak to Lawrence yeah she sees the same video running where the doctor's speaking yeah and she asks Lawrence what's going on and he explains it's an Easter egg. Yes, the hidden feature on DVDs. I I, be, I love that we have to have a little explanation for, for normal people of what an Easter egg is. 
have have you ever discovered an Easter egg in a real DVD? I can remember I, one. I think I I could be talking out my ass here because I'm, I have a I have a memory like a sieve, right? Mm-hmm. I have vague sense memories of maybe finding. It might just be the fact that it was chock full of stuffed extras, extras and stuff, but I think I might have found some genuine Easter eggs on the Monty Python and the Holy Grail DVD. Mm-hmm. Um, but I couldn't tell you what they were or where I found them. I, I remember in... I feel I talk about this film a lot, even though it's not very good. Yeah. In uh, Final Fantasy, The Spirits Within. All right. Uh, because it was a full CGI film. Yes. One of the extras you could find on the menu was like a tech demo where all the characters did the dance from Thriller. Ah, what fun. Again, it was a, di- a different... That's one thing I really do miss with physical media as well. Just extras. Yeah. Like, I... Do you remember I when DVDs a, came making And of. it was like, you can watch scenes from different angles. And, oh, yeah, and yeah. Like, and director's like... commentaries and things like that. You see, I miss... I really miss good commentaries. Because commentaries, when you do get them nowadays, are so phoned in. Like, I, Doctor Who is a classic example, actually. Recent DVD releases, you'll maybe have, out of a 13-episode series, maybe two or three episodes with commentary. Really? And half the time, it's not even key people mm. who are doing it. And But I remember, for, for me, hands down, the greatest commentary tracks you will ever hear are the Futurama commentary okay. for, the, for the original run, the original Fox run. Um because it's mostly just the writers who are just inherently witty, funny, interesting people. And Matt Groening himself is in almost every single commentary. And you can tell because he created the show, but then he wasn't like really much of a presence in the writer's room. He just kind of let David X. Cohen and his team just get on with it. So he's basically watching the episodes as a fan. He's just a fan of a show that he happened to have created. Um, and they are just so much fun. Uh, close, uh, close uh, runner-up, big train commentary. Oh yes, such a good commentary. Again, track. we talk about that every week. Yeah, but with good reason. Do you rem- do you remember when DVDs were double-sided? I remember I, I bought the Christopher Reeve Superman. Yeah, and it was like halfway through. You had to turn the disc over. I don't remember having to ever turn it over in the middle of. Oh, it might be that the extras were uh, the on. extras on the other side, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I definitely I remember I had some copies of Yes Minister on DVD that were mm-hmm. double sided, and I remember um, the first time I opened it being just absolutely baffled because it was the first time I'd seen a double sided DVD. It was like I forgot to print the front. Mm-hmm. What have they done? Um, but yeah. Final, final question about DVDs. <laughs> okay. We're sure you, you tuned into this episode expecting us to talk about one of the greatest episodes of Doctor Who. Yeah, norm- <laughs> normally if we go off on a tangent, it's because the episode's crap. This we've, episode's amazing. We've just hit a rich seam of nostalgia here. You've got to let this play out, guys. What, what was the first DVD you ever bought? First one I ever bought? Oh, man, I don't know. I can tell you the first one I ever rented. Go on. Series one of Red Dwarf. Oh. I remember the first film I ever bought on DVD was Leon, or The Professional. All right, sometimes called. I've never watched it. I, oh. I mean, I know it was like it was one of those films, like round about the early noughties. Just mm. it was like it seemed to be everywhere. And I have vivid memories of buying the Matrix sequels from oh, Tesco's. Wow! And Star Wars Episode One, Two, and Three in a box <laughs> set. Oh, uh, I'll tell you what. You're talking about buying DVDs from Tesco's. I'll tell you the. Uh, Worst one of the worst financial decisions I've ever made. Um, I bought Shaun of the Dead 
week of release from Tesco for like 17 quid. Really? Yeah, because that was, because that's, you know, if you're buying something week of release back then, that's the kind of price you were paying for it. Obviously, a year later, they built, made made so many copies of it, you you can pick (laughs) it up for three quid. Yeah. (laughs) You know? Like, if you go to things like CEX now, you can just, it'd be like 50p. Yeah. In a way, CEX makes me sad. It's where um, DVDs go to die. Yeah, and like uh, the one I, I go to most commonly is in York, and I only ever go in to buy old PlayStation Two games. I, yeah, I, I, I very rarely play modern games, um, so I'll go in there. But the PlayStation Two games are upstairs where the DVDs are, uh-huh. and it's just it's just a sad environment. Yeah, there's just it's yeah, it really makes me unhappy. Because yeah. there's stuff in there that you just know is going to be there forever. Yeah, it's just it's just it's died. It's just died as a format. Mm. There is no there's no reason for DVDs to exist anymore. Yeah. Sad as that is. Anyway, right. <laughs> so okay, back on track. So Lawrence explains DVD <laughs> Easter eggs as we yes. said about twenty minutes ago, <laughs> uh, and he explains that there's an Easter egg. Across seventeen different DVDs, yeah. in which the Doctor appears, and it's a fragmented conversation. And I, I want to point out as well the cho- the, the detail in uh, that video that they shoot of the Doctor. I'm, I'm assuming it was, you know, added in after the fact rather than being shot on vintage cameras. But it looks like it was shot in the late '60s. Yeah. It has that grainy film quality to it, and it's like like a brown background and and stuff. And this is the first nod we sort of get where the fragmented conversation the Doctor's having yeah. links into Sally's conversation. Yes. It's almost as if he can hear and know what she's going to yes. say. Yes. Well, in fact. She, she, yeah, he sort of seems to respond to a couple of things she says offhand. And she says, it's almost like I can hear you. Uh, uh, you can hear me. And his response is, well, I can hear you. Mm. And it's proper eerie. Yeah. And, and that's the point where she just pauses and says, like, nope, nope, nope. Yeah. Enough of so, that. As, as she leaves, the man from earlier that works in the front of the video shop yeah. is watching some sort of Starsky and Hutch yeah. adventure. And he says... Why does no one ever go to the place? Just go to the place, you stupid woman. Yeah. And it's as if he's speaking to Sally. Yeah. It's the a, next thing she does is go, go to, to the, the place. And I, I think that's a cracking bit of writing. That's just a great little meta yeah. way to, to because, spur on the story. You know, we've never said it, but it probably applies in a lot of Doctor Who. Oh, yeah. They never just go to the place. Well, it's true of all media. It's, it, you know, it's a genuine trope that, like, in the same way that, like... Every episode of Peep Show could be resolved within the second scene if they just explained things to one another. Yeah. yeah. All they have to do is pick up the phone and just be like, okay, here's the situation. <laughs> yeah. But nobody does because then there would be no episode. <laughs> well, it'd be good, just a little five minute teaser <laughs> yeah. episode. In which nothing funny happens. Right. Yeah. So anyway. somebody goes to the police station. She looks out the window because it's absolutely hammering it down with rain. Yeah. Across the road is some sort of small chapel. Yeah. And in amongst all the gargoyles and what have you, there is yeah. the weeping angels. Yeah. As she turns away, they move. They're gone. Yeah. Okay. So at this point, we're introduced to. Worth pointing out, we never see them move. No. No. 
it, they, it, they do move. Yeah. We no- we never see them move. No. And that's and, later in the episode. That's really haunting. Yeah. Because when, although we don't see them move, when we do see them move, for want of a better term, yeah. it they're just upon you. Yes. Yeah. And I I I like the aspect of because if you think about it, there are shots where you're not seeing anyone directly looking at them, mm. but they're not moving. Which implies that we as the audience are, seeing... are the ones who are seeing them and keeping them in position. I love that. Anyway. <laughs> yes. So we're introduced to Billy Shipton. Yeah. What what did you make of Billy Shipton? I really love this whole section. It's like two scenes, basically. Mm. And in it, you've effectively got what could have been like the start of a lifelong romance like kindled and then immediately snuffed out mm. which so, again i think is incredible writing now if so if i'd faked my own death and disappeared <laughs> into the past and you go to the police yeah and it'd be gender reverse so imagine it's a female police officer uh-huh if they kept calling you like pretty man <laughs> and beautiful man, yeah. do you find that appropriate? No, not as at part all. of the investigation. Not at I, all. I think Billy Shipton oversteps his boundaries. Oh, at he times. absolutely does, but he gets away with it. See, I think. Yeah, I and I don't want to give too much away, but mm-hmm. we'll get there. I don't like young Billy Shipton, but I like old Billy Shipton. Yeah, I think you know, without giving the game away. Um, he, he's going to get blasted into the past. Oh, yeah, yeah, we know, we, yeah, we, we know how this goes. Everyone as a, this as as an old man, yeah. as a charmer, yeah. I think it works. Yeah. Whilst he's young, I just think it's, it's a bit... He's cocky. He's definitely it, cocky. And we, um, we've talked about it in different episodes, but this yeah. is definitely pre the Me Too movement. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely yeah. it is. I think but... by modern sensibilities, he's quite inappropriate. Yeah, I, I would say that's fair, but... Um... It's not as though, like, quite early on, you can tell that it is a two-way attraction. Mm. And I think if it wasn't, then it would be, like, super inappropriate. But I think they both know very quickly that yeah. they are both actually into each other. And, like, as evidenced by the fact that when she says... He asks what her name is, and she accidentally says Sally Shipton instead of Sally Sparrow. Yeah. You know? Uh, and which you know, triggering quite that you know very cute embarrassed exit where she's just like, okay, don't look at me, oh, goodbye, don't so, look at me. But anyway, but yeah, so he's talking her through. He takes her down because I, I think he just overhears the end of the conversations he's having with a policeman right. at the front of the desk, isn't it? And then he's like, oh, I'll handle this, and takes it. And at first, you think maybe it's just because he fancies her, mm. but he's he, actually he's been got... investigating other people that have disappeared. In that particular area, yes. so it's because it's the, the around that particular house that. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, as he takes her down into like almost a basement, yeah, like uh, like a lower story car park, yeah, all the vehicles of people who've disappeared, yeah. So there's several cars, yeah, and a TARDIS, yes. So again, this is one of those nods where it's just like the Doctor's involved, but oh, yeah. we don't know how. Yes. This will be the third nod we've had to it. Yeah. I mean, were you starting to piece it together? Were you thinking like, oh, they must have been, you know, taken by the angels well, and sent I, back I, in time? I think at this point, I thought, 
more than anything, he could just be inside the TARDIS. He could be investigating this. All oh, right, yeah. So, in so you, parallel, you hadn't, you hadn't uh, that hadn't quite clicked into place potentially no, yet. No, yeah. interesting. So, yeah. following this, as we've said, Billy asks Sally to go for a drink. Yeah, and she gives him her number. Yeah. So at this point, all the angels appear around the TARDIS. Sally's left. Yeah. Billy's fucked. Yeah, shipped and blinks. He's just gone. Yeah. So, Sally then remembers that Billy had told her that the TARDIS is locked by just a standard Yale, Yale lock. Key. Yeah. But they have no key that fits it. She yeah. does have the key from earlier. Now, this is the question I was going to ask you. Uh-huh. Is that Martha's key? Is it the key that the Doctor gave Martha? I don't know if it's specifically Martha's key or it's just a TARDIS yeah. key. I mean, it, it has no bearing on the no. plot, where it came from. I just yeah. didn't know whether... It, it could was. well be. It could well be the, the one that he gave Martha. But anyway, what for whatever reason, the angels managed to get hold of it when when they uh, yeah. sent them back in time. So, Shipton, as we've said, is blasted back. He's in yep. 1969. Yeah. And the Doctor's there. Yes. And he says, if you see the eyes of the same angel, you get blasted to the same year. So... There's possibly a lot of people in 1969 mm-hmm. suffered this fate. Yeah. And he says that the angels zap you through time so they can live. They sort of live off your potential yes. energy. Yes, the fact basically that you're as a human being in a certain timeline, you've got X number of years to live out in that linear timeline. By displacing you back in time, that leaves all this kind of, yeah, like untapped potential yeah, the life you uh, yeah, could have had. had and that's what they feed off of so, um the doctor has a timey wimey detector <laughs> yeah. that's how he find it yeah now the question i was going to ask they're back in 1969 yes martha could just use her telephone she could because it, it can phone through time and space that's true so um, she could ring martha half an hour ago I know you can't interfere with your timelines, blah, blah, yeah, blah, yeah. blah, blah. But she, can't, she couldn't ring herself. But she could ring Sally. She could ring... Well, she doesn't have Sally's number. She could ring, like, someone who she is in her phone. She could ring 118 in 2007, yeah. say. She could ring, she could ring her, phone, uh, her, her mother or something like that, mm. but then what's her mother actually going to do? Yeah. And her mother's a real bitch. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, I suppose if you... If you're wading through shit, the last <coughs> thing you want to do is talk to your horrible bitch mother. Yeah. So, so anyway. Doctor asks him, in the future, can you give Sally a message? Yeah. And he says, it's going to take a while for you to pass it. Yeah. So, back in the present day, Sally's phone rings, and it's Billy. Yeah. And she agrees to go meet him, but this time, he's an old man in hospital. Yeah. And the message the Doctor asked him to pass on was look at the list. Look at the DVD list. Yeah, the 17 DVDs. Okay. And yeah. he explains that in the past, in 1969, he worked in publishing, mm-hmm. eventually worked into DVD publishing, yeah. and he was the one that's able to hide the Easter eggs of the yeah. Doctor on these DVDs. Yeah. And sadly, he says, I'm going to die tonight. Yeah. So Sally stays with him, yeah. and he passes. It's a very sweet little scene. It's a really lovely performance yeah. from that actor. Because um, all in all, his story arc is eight minutes of yeah. the show around yeah. that. But it's so well done, isn't yeah. it? Again, just the direction, the writing, it's just the acting is just pitched perfectly. And as I say, I really love... 
Because I do think that the one scene that, that Sally shares with young... Uh, what's it? Billy, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Young, young Billy Shipson. There really is a spark. There is an energy to them. You can see those two clicking and, yeah. and having a life together. And then it's just immediately brutally snatched away. Yeah. And of course, you know, he says he's, you know, he's happy, found someone else, he married and, you know, had a lovely, long, fulfilling life in the same way that Kathy did. Which is what I think I love as well that, you know, the doctor kind of says about the Weeping Angels, they're the only, like, one of the only monsters who will, who will like, kill you nicely. Mm. You still get to live a f- full life. It's just... Not the life you would and, have had. You know, we know from Family of Blood, if the Doctor's going to kill you nicely, it involves trapping you in a mirror or throwing you into the event horizon. Oh, well that, no, that was, that was you know, that was retribution for yeah. them not playing. So the Weeping Angels are yeah. actually the good guys and the Doctor's the bad guy. That's not what we're saying here. Uh, <laughs> one man's terrorist, another man's freedom <laughs> fighter. Moving on. So, Sally works out when she looks at the list. The list is every DVD that she owns. Yep. So she grabs Lawrence and they yep. go to the old house and they're going to watch every Easter egg. Yeah. That's on these DVDs. Lawrence, well, Lawrence is horrified that she only owns 17 DVDs, yeah. which is a lovely I, moment. I, I feel like we're on a bit of a one track conversation. Yeah, no, go on. But I can remember when I cashed all my DVDs in. Yeah. And I think I got 50p a DVD at yeah. Blockbuster. Brutal. And I traded them in, and I think I got enough to get Devil May Cry 4 on Xbox. Mm. So, Fair trade off. literally taking, like, hold all bags full of DVDs. Yeah. And just trading them all in. I haven't quite pulled the trigger yet. Really? I've still got a box of DVDs. I've got, the tr- I've even got some VHSs. Really? Well, I'll tell you why. Okay, full comedy nerd mode here, right? I've got um, some Reeves and Mortimer VHSs mm-hmm. that I cannot part with because it contains material that's never been released on any other format. Okay. I haven't checked. It's probably all on YouTube now, and I should just get rid of them. But basically, the, the smell of Reeves and Mortimer, they, the versions that they put on the videos are extended, uncut. Like Each episode has about 10 minutes of extra material. Mm-hmm. They didn't include it on the DVD. I've got Smell of Reeves and Mortimer on DVD as well. But it's, but it's just the original it. broadcast things. I understand wanting to have the original broadcast edits, but the the beauty of DVDs is you can have both. Mm. But they don't. I remember watching... Did you ever watch Rock Profile? It yes. It was yeah. Matt Lucas, David Williams, before yeah. they did Little Britain. Yeah. The DVD of Rock Profile has no music videos in it because of licensing. Ah. And that was like that one of the main bits was all yeah. the funny... It was like a riff of pop-up video that used to be on MTV, mm. where they just put obscure, crazy facts <laughs> over the top. Yeah, yeah, it's a, sh- it's a, it's a shame when licensing like ruins mm. uh, things like that. I mean, it, it's it's a particular problem with the BBC uh, programs because uh, the BBC, unlike a most broadcasters, they have like a long-standing agreement with um, music rights holders that they basically have the right to use basically any music for broadcast, mm-hmm. but that doesn't extend to um, physical, media. physical media. So they can't... So quite often, BBC programmes that get released on DVD, they'll either just have to cut whole sections out or they'll have to just find some cheap filler 
stock music to replace what is an actually a really iconic song that that the entire well, scene was edited around I suppose and it just completely in the age of it. streaming will overcome that because we've seen it in it, Doctor Who where they've used real music yeah and they've paid for the licensing for those ones oh really they genuinely have because um, for example Libby's show yes great sketch show um, not as well known as it should be um the n- versions on Netflix, they've uh, changed a load of the music. Like the Falcon Hoof sketches, they all use uh, Jean-Michel Jarre music uh, on the original broadcast versions, but they've got like some crappy stock music that's mm. vaguely Jean-Michel Jarre-esque. doesn't feel the same. But yeah. Anyway. Uh... <laughs> so, as they're watching the DVD extras, Sally begins speaking. Mm-hmm. The Doctor, again, starts replying in conversation. Yeah. Um, it's as if he'll know what she's about to say. Yes. And the reason for that is Lawrence is gobsmacked that someone's finally cracked the clue of what these Easter eggs actually are. Yeah. So he writes a transcript of the whole conversation. Yes. Which then in future the Doctor gets hold of. Yes. Which he can read like a script. Yeah, he's got it on an auto cue. Yeah. So he knows what she's going to say and then he can respond to it. Yeah, so this conversation has to take place in order for this conversation to take place. Yeah, it's a classic, uh, what they call a bootstrap paradox. Yeah. I I Um, like it. Yeah. I like it. Because Lawrence is a bit of a useless character. He's... But here, without him, the plot goes nowhere. Oh, no, absolutely not. And apart from the fact that he's, he's prepared with... I love as well, before they get to this point, he's got two copies of the DVDs, uh, sorry, two different DVDs, um, which have the Easter egg on, because he's like, well, the picture quality's better on this one, but this one's got clearer sound, so, and and Sally's just like, just, you know, (laughs) no interest in it, so, yeah. So, in this conversation, he explains that the statues are quantum locked. Yeah. They only exist when they're observed. Yeah. He says it's the ultimate defence mechanism. Yes. Which is pretty cool. It is. And he explains that they're not weeping. The reason they're holding hands up to their eyes is so they don't look at each other. If they look at each other, that's when they become trapped. Because yeah. they're constantly observing one another. And they can't, they can't get move. out of there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Which is why they have the nickname the Lonely Assassins. Oh, is that the technical name? Well, the no, Weeping that angels? the Weeping Angels is what they. But he he refer, he says in that thing yeah. he says they're known as the Lonely Assassins. So, so yeah. But now everyone calls them Weeping so, Angels. As they're watching the DVD, Sally and Lawrence realise if they're looking at the screen, they're not looking at the statue. Yeah, and it is it's a, a horrible. Like I, every time I watch it, even though I know, I know it's coming, like I can feel my stomach like drop in dread. It's just like, oh shit, yeah. <laughs> Prior to this, like I say, because they're angelic, they appear quite innocent. But when we see their faces yeah. up close, they're like vampiric, yeah, monstrous. Yeah, they are. horrible. Yeah. So Also worth pointing out, real people wearing really? costumes. Yeah. Was it like those statue men you exactly, get at the side yeah, of the tent? Exactly the same principle. But the makeup and costume job on them, fantastic. Yeah. I wouldn't have guessed that. Yeah. Because, uh, but then think about like, can you imagine having to make all those different props of every single pose that they're in? Mm. That would have been so laborious, far cheaper to just slap a bit of stone coloured paint on a person. And and I think they were all like trained dancers and and people, so like they're they're comfortable with like holding some often quite difficult physical poses for long periods. Um, But yeah, well done. They do a good job. 
We do. Now, the next bit. Sally tries to find a way out mm -hmm. and encourages Lawrence to constantly stare. Now, I, my solution for this, okay, if this was yeah. me and you, yeah. Angel, yeah, in the doorway, surely we could stand side by side and every so often I'd say, David, I'm about to blink, don't blink. Yeah. And then I could tell you, you could escape these for miles. <laughs> <laughs> Potentially, but... Um... Like, surely the thing to do is not to trust one person because you don't know when you're going to find an escape. They're working on blind panic. Who has the time to think rationally Me. in a situation like Me. that? <laughs> but unfortunately, I'd be blasted back to 1969. Yeah. Or potentially... Or pretending to be. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, as could be expected, Lawrence does blink. Yeah. Or looks away. Yeah. And the angel comes for him. Yeah. So, they now find the TARDIS in the basement... Yeah. I know last week I had a bit of an issue with people just moving the TARDIS, but I've come to terms with that now, so I'm yeah. assuming the angels just moved it. Well, he says there's the mention on the transcript, um, on the uh, Easter egg, the, the Doctor says, the angels have the phone box. <laughs> and uh, Lawrence is a puzzle that, which I know is, I love that bit. I've got that on a T-shirt. <laughs> Unsurprisingly, you can get T-shirts that say the angels have the phone box. Really? Yeah. Oh, this is like when, what was that website where I found and it was like the fake Google. Oh, and it turned searchwise.net. Searchwise.net. <laughs> and I thought I'd outsmarted everyone, but it's just a Doctor Who fan page. Yeah. Um, so they go down into the basement, they find the TARDIS, and the next bit, maybe I need explaining. Okay. One of the angels turns the lights off. Yeah. Now, if there's no light, how can they tell if they're being observed unless they have like infrared it, they're not being observed that's the point they're trying to turn the light off so they can move freely yeah but how would they know because it's it's the the physical eye contact if there's no physical like do you know what i mean it's it they can move in darkness because you cannot observe if it in pitch darkness nobody can observe them okay yeah okay I don't want to give too much away, but if you're if you're struggling with uh, angel logic in this episode, who boy? <laughs> yeah. Um, so, <laughs> as the angels approach, as the lights are flickering, we get horrible visages of them getting ever closer. Yeah. But Lovely editing on that bit. Sally and Lawrence enter the TARDIS. They put the DVD in the drive, and as well as being a DVD, yeah. it's some sort of key. Yeah, like it, 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 a like. Hologram message of the doctor, like triggers where it says, like, the title is detected, a, an authorized, um, I forget the exact, you know, nonsense term that they made up for this. Episode. Basically, like, the DVD is kind of glowing, so they kind of just instinctively know, okay, stick it in that slot, and it's, and it's basically programmed to bring the TARDIS back to where the doctor and Martha are. Yeah. So, a hologram of the doctor appears telling them this. Yeah. And the TARDIS begins to disappear. Yes. And Sally and Lawrence are left behind. Yeah. Sally's really not happy. She thinks the Doctor's sort of... He's just like, screwed them, them like over. ...death sentence. Yeah. Um, but by removing the TARDIS, as the angels have sort of stood at each face of the exterior TARDIS, yeah. as it disappears, that then forces the angels to look at one another. Yeah. And they all freeze. Well done, Doctor. And... Lawrence and Sally just sort of 
dust themselves off and walk away. Yeah. Well, what, what else can you do in that situation? I wanted to mention, I love the fact that we've never seen before the perspective of being inside the TARDIS with the TARDIS dematerialising without you. Mm. So you're, you're watching the interior of the TARDIS slowly melt away into whatever reality you're in before. It's never seen, been seen in the show before or since, I don't think, mm-hmm. because, you know, that's not normally how it works. Normally, if you're in the TARDIS, you're going with the TARDIS wherever it's going. So I, find, I always find that a weirdly unsettling moment. Mm. Um, but, yeah, anyway. Day saved. Angels locked forever in that basement, staring at one another until some do, idiot. Do you know, you know if if you were Sally or Lawrence, yeah. wouldn't you just go down B and Q by a sledgehammer and just come back, just break them apart? Okay, the second you break one of them, the other one will unfreeze because it's no longer two sledgehammers, and you hit the two that are facing you. You've got to be very confident in your timing. But what I was going to mention was presumably. 10, 20 years from now, someone pokes around in that basement, decides to move one of these statues. Yeah. Or They're even fucked. if you stood in yeah. between them, then you've blocked all their sight. Of yeah, them. their eyeline, yeah, potentially. Can they work in front of mirrors? Don't know. Probably not. Uh, I don't know. P- put acid over them. Assume <laughs> they're made of some sort of carbonate. And just pour acid over them. I'm not encouraging acid attacks. <laughs> no. But like... <laughs> That, if it's against weeping angels, it's that, that's how I'd overcome yeah. it. Yeah. Um, how else could you beat them? Sledgehammers and acid. Yeah. I, I suppose if you put the acid into their eyes, this that, is brutal. Yeah, but would yeah. that? I mean, maybe would that be the best place? No, because the thing is, because then I don't know. Because then Cause it's suppose... not about them. It, it's 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 they could still move if they're being. Observed. observed, can't they? So it's like bird box. Yeah. You have to blindfold yourself. Yeah. No, because then if you're blindfolded, you're not observing. No, no, you want the opposite of being blindfolded. What you need, you, what you right? need is like clockwork orange style uh, glasses that prise your eyelids open. What you need is a gang of about twenty youths. Yeah. With sledgehammers stood in a circle, so they're constantly being observed, and you just go to town on them. Yeah, that could work. That's how I'd do it. Yeah. If I said. If I went down to the local park, yeah, and this sounds so wrong, <laughs> it does. So you're, you're going down to the park, propositioning some local youth. Yeah, if I said, "Here's five quid, come with me in this basement." <laughs> <laughs> Here you go. I've got tools. Well, <laughs> yeah, maybe that's a slightly sordid. Well, what joke. I would uh, I, okay, I can remember. You, look, you can you can phrase it better. Just just before you do it, just ju- get a notepad out. Be very careful in your wording. Go through a few drafts. Find mm. the least um, ambiguous wording you can yeah. find. Then you I, might be all I, right. I can remember once, as a child, I say as a child, I was maybe 13, 14. Yeah. We used to have a greenhouse in our garden. Yeah. And it, it was old, and one particularly windy day, it, you know, we yeah. just decided it's falling apart. Yeah. And I just remember my mum coming into the house with... A cricket bat and a hammer, <laughs> and just saying, "Go on, boys!" And me and my big brother <laughs> went to town. We were just stood and <laughs> stood like Thor, just throwing a hammer through oh. glass panes, and then just smashing it to bits that with a cricket fun. bat. Oh man! Because people pay money for that now, don't they? You know, yeah, it's like rage rooms. Yeah, 
Yeah, when uh, me and our friend Roy went to the Birmingham Board Game Expo, yeah. the UK Board Game Expo, one of the biggest or most popular things there was Rage Rooms. Yeah, I can imagine. It does sound fun. Yeah, I'd quite Just like to destroy some shit. I mean, I've done... I've I've destroyed things in a performance art context, mm. which is great fun. Like, there's nothing like having a group of, you know, a dozen strangers who've, for whatever whatever reason, you've tricked into being in a basement with you and just, like, <laughs> screaming poetry and just, and just destroying shit in front of them. That's, that's a good way to spend an evening, yeah. trust me. Right. <laughs> Let's go through the epilogue now. Yeah. So, one year later, Sally is still totally obsessed with finding the Doctor yeah. and sort of resolving her own story. Yeah, she's kind of... She's almost lost in limbo, isn't she? Mm. she like, And understandably, she's had a weird experience. That would take time to process. And her relationship with Lawrence seems to have developed to the point where he's infatuated with her. He's desperate that she moves on. He yeah. hints that he'd quite like a life with her... I think there is a there is an implication as well that maybe deep down they both know that it goes both ways, but there is this blockage. Yeah, yeah, that he, because she can't move on from that those events. Also, she's stunningly beautiful and can do better. Yeah, that that's also a fact. <laughs> that, 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 that should be the ending. <laughs> Not that she's actually that yeah. bothered about like the angels. She's just like. <laughs> I can do so much better. You're a loser. <laughs> you look like Shaggy from Scooby Doo. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, I was going to say she could like <laughs> laugh at the fact he worked in a video shop, but we don't even know what she does as a job. Well, no, we do because uh, she's running the shop with him. Yeah. Because but... it is now a uh, they. In addition to DVDs, they're now also doing antiquarian books. Mm. So you know, really strong business model. That's definitely still going to be open in the next ten years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, that, that can be the sequel. Then facing like bailiffs, <laughs> traveling through time to stop repossession of their goods. Uh, but <laughs> but anyway, yeah. So so, uh, but she says like we run a shop together. That's it. Mm. You know, she's kind of that's the cut off for their relationship. Until dot dot Until. dot. So he goes to get some milk in a bit of a sulk. Yeah. And through the window, Sally sees the Doctor and Martha. Yeah. Sally runs outside and shouts for the Doctor. Yeah. But the Doctor has no idea who she is. No. Because in his timeline, this hasn't happened yet. Yes. Because he, unlike Sally, isn't a fixed point in time. No, the E and Martha are time travellers. They're they're on some other adventure. They've got bows and arrows for some reason. Yeah. I can't remember. (laughs) Martha says something like, the birth is yeah, going to happen. Yeah, I think it's like the hatching or something. Yeah. You know, it's like yeah. it's only a minute away. So Sally gives the doctor. She's got like a plastic folder with all yeah. the information of all the events she's gone through, the yeah. transcript yeah. of the speech, everything. So for when it does happen, he's prepared. Yes. Again, we, we've now we've closed that loop. We've got that bootstrap paradox. We don't know. Like how how does this begin? It do, it doesn't matter. It's because the loop has been closed, so it's it's an infinite yeah cycle at that point. And the episode ends. She holds Lawrence's hand, yeah, and says goodbye to the doctor. Yeah, she gets her closure, and you know the doctor says, "Nice to meet you, Sally Sparrow." Yeah. So 
he gets her name ready for the start of this episode yeah. so he can put it in the graffiti. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent episode. It's fantastic. Well, uh, we have we should probably mention my one if I was going to have one criticism we got the epilogue to the epilogue. Mhm. We've got like 30 seconds at the end of just intercutting between the doctor's warning on the Easter egg saying whatever you do don't blink. Oh yeah. Intercutting oh, yeah. with just random footage of statues yeah. that is purely there just to freak out any 6-year-olds watching. Yeah. Just give them yeah. a permanent fear of statues. Yeah. Good work Stephen Moffat. <laughs> So now I'm already afraid of little girls in mirrors <laughs> yeah. and statues. Yeah. But no, as I say, excellent. <coughs> Best episode we've watched by a country mile. Fab. I mean, are we? I'm not surprised to hear you say that. I knew going in that I, I would have been much more surprised if you'd if you'd come away being a bit meh about mm. this episode. There is a reason that people do recommend it to non Doctor Who fans. Is, um, is there any pocket of the Doctor Who community that doesn't like this episode? I don't know. Have you ever seen anyone with like a strong opinion denouncing it? There are those that will make the argument that it's overrated. Mm-hmm. Because it is so highly rated by both the majority of fandom and also those outside of it. I, I don't think I've ever seen anyone adopting the contrarian position of actually trying to claim that it's a bad episode. Should we start it? Should we go on Reddit? <laughs> Should we go on Reddit and just say, oh, we've just watched this. We really hate it. I'll <laughs> get some traction for the podcast. Ah, uh, I mean, that seems very underhand. And then we can be like, Bazinga, loved it. <laughs> uh, you can't, I mean, I can't police what you do on the internet. I'm already deeply unhappy with the no state of our No one can police feed. what I do on the internet. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I think I, I'm such a fan that I, I genuinely, not even in jest, could I claim that this is anything short of a near masterpiece. Yeah. <laughs> it, 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 like, I, I physically, I think the words would stop in my throat if I was just like, it, no, I can't say it's, it's, it's clearly not a bad episode. No. It's just so much love and care and, and, like, <laughs> I, I know we watch it with quite a keen eye. Yeah. And occasionally I'll go into episodes looking for the faults. Yeah. It, I, I usually decide in the first five minutes whether I'm going to enjoy an episode or not. Yeah. And with this, you know, my my only criticism was that one of the guys was a little bit sleazy. Yeah. And Sally could do better than Lawrence. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I understand that that's like a little romantic element. It's yeah. Nice. It's cute. Mm. Yeah. Ah, so yeah, great episode. Um, one question I've got for you, mm-hmm. um, which I was thinking I might say for the end of Series 3 wrap-up, but I think we'll have enough to discuss in there. People sometimes say Sally Sparrow is one of the great companions we didn't have. Yes. Would you have liked a series where Sally Sparrow in is on board this the episode, I warmed to Sally Sparrow more than I've warmed to Martha this entire series. Yeah. Uh, I, honestly, like... I think the reason I really liked Girl in the Fireplace was the really, really strong performance of Madame de Pompadour. Yeah. And it's the same here. Yeah. We've got this really, really good performance, and it it's so different from any other episode we've seen. Yeah. You know, last time when we were discussing... I can't even remember the name of the episode, where it was basically the impossible planet again. Yeah, 42. Uh, that was it, 42. And... Oof. 
Yeah, and this one just breaks the tropes. And yeah. season three, it's not been good. It's not been great. No. And, you know, it's, I wouldn't even say it's been hit and miss. I, I can't honestly say we've seen anything in season three where I've thought, oh, this is amazing. Mm. It's mainly just like pigmen in 1930s <laughs> New York in the sewers. Yeah. Yeah. And so, then all of a sudden you've got this absolute standout. Yeah. 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 I, I 100% yeah. understand why people herald this episode as a masterpiece. Fantastic. Right. I mean, well, I guess we better leave it there. Um, thanks very much for listening, everyone. Mm. Next week, we're going to be talking about a little episode called Utopia. Mm. So do join us for that. So one thing I would say just before we finish yeah. is we're reaching the end of the series. Oh, yeah. If yeah. anybody wants to get in touch before the end of series wrap up, can contact us via email. It's timenorspacepod at gmail.com. Yeah. And we're on Twitter at timenorspacepod. Yeah, if you want to see um, Matt's disparaging comments and memes that he mm. uh, occasionally posts on there, worth a follow. Uh, it might yeah. make you sad the way that it does <laughs> make me, but also, you know, he's having fun. Yeah. Um, uh, and the other thing I mentioned, because we never... We never do this. You hear this all the time on podcasts, and I'm a bit uh, iffy about doing it. But if you did want to leave us a review, that would be smashing because it genuinely does help with the visibility of the podcast. Hmm. If you're enjoying listening to us uh, get massively sidetracked <laughs> and what go on nostalgic tangents uh, in every episode, um, or even if you're not, just you know, we'd, we'd appreciate the feedback. It's it's yeah. great to hear from people. It's great to get reviews. It helps with the visibility of this show. We love making it, but but we'd love it even more if more people found it. Um, yes. So that would be that would be a nice thing to do. Anyway, you won't hear that for another like three <laughs> years probably. But uh, thanks very much for listening. And until next time, cheerio. Bye now. to contact us our email address is timenorspacepod at gmail.com and on twitter we are at timenorspacepod and thank you to Alexander Urban for his smashing arrangement of the Doctor Who theme.